KFI AM640. You're listening to Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, on demand on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM640 and live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, whether uh, you are listening to us right here in Southern California or all the way anywhere across the country, I'm just so very glad you're here. I am Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, here with you live like I am every weekend, Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Pacific Time, Sunday mornings, 9 to noon Pacific Time. Here we are helping you better understand that place where you live. I am talking pruning trees today. We are committed to get you out the door today and by the end of the show with all the knowledge you need to uh, take control of your tree pruning at your home. Very, very, very important stuff to do. But right now, uh, top of the hour, we're going to the phones as we do, and I want to get back to them. So uh, let's do that. Uh, Adam, welcome home. Uh, good, good morning, uh, Dean. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a kitchen sink that the handles make a noise like this. It's the best way to describe it. Oh! <laughs> and it only seems to happen in the summer. Wakes everybody up. But now my problem is my neighbor has a, a tropical bird that I think is starting to mimic the sound. So how can... <laughs> And because, the, you know, the kitchen's adjacent to his um, uh, uh, living room and the bird is on that side. And how can I quiet this thing down before he starts really getting uh, going crazy? Here? All right. All right. So, all right. This has got to be a first. So Adam has a faucet, a kitchen <laughs> faucet that's making this funky sound. The neighbor's tropical bird is now imitating the sound. <laughs> So literally, yeah, Adam's yeah. faucet problem is spreading through the neighborhood now. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right, sir. <laughs> All right. So now it's just the kitchen faucet. Can you feel it in the handle? Like, do you, do you get a vibration along with the sound, or is it just literally when you lift up the the mixer handle? Uh, it, where, where it from? From what you can tell, is the sound coming from specifically? So it's just the kitchen uh, faucet uh, in. It's a hot and a cold water, so on each side, and it's a lever each. But it okay. only you can't really feel it. It's just this god awful sound, um, and right. it goes away in the winter time. Uh, okay. All right, that's a good. That's a good clue. All right. All right. Here, here's my suggestion. I can't. I can't guarantee this is going to resolve it because it, uh, it doesn't yes. sound like there's anything intrinsic in the faucet itself. But I've I've said this before on the show. Plumbing is a funny thing. Plumbing is, uh, you know, it's a bunch of pipes uh, in your home. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Thanks for letting us know that. Plumbing is pipes. No, but what I mean is, uh, you know what also is a bunch of pipes? Most instruments, most uh, like, you know, brass uh, band instruments. In other words, mm -hmm. your plumbing system is not unlike a flute or a horn. And, uh, and it's not because the plumber did it wrong. It, there's just no way of telling sometimes when we configure a home with exactly branches here and this pipe there and that thing there, uh, there's no way of telling how, when water moves through these pipes, how they are going to create what we call cavitation. Cavitation is when we start to open up a, a, a pipe and water begins rushing through and around a certain turn, 
uh, how it uh, gets disrupted. And sometimes cavitation results in knocking or what we call water hammering. And sometimes it's kind of a squeal or a screech like you're describing. It's water yeah. cavitation moving through the pipes. Okay. Uh, fortunately, the solution to both is uh, usually the same thing. And that is you can add to your piping. Now, and you don't have to have a plumber do this. You, If you're handy and, and you want to DIY this yourself, you can try this yourself. But you can add to your piping a, a, a water hammer shock absorber. Okay. And what it is, it's these little stubs. Uh, we call them nipples. They're about you know, four to six inches long. They basically have inside them a big loaded spring and a pressure gasket. And what they do is when a pipe begins to cavitate and it wants to send that screeching or hammering sound through the pipe, just like a shock absorber on a car, this water hammer shock absorber will absorb a lot of that cavitation and quiet the pipes down. Now, is it a guarantee that it's going to silence this and the neighbor's bird is not going to keep going off? No, I can't guarantee that. But I can tell you, you know, eight to nine times out of ten, Putting one of these on uh, will work. Now, they can happen over at the water heater. You can pop one in there. Uh, but usually, you want to put them as close to the offending uh, faucet and or uh, source of the sound as possible. So in your case, underneath the kitchen sink, you could turn off the water supply, open up the faucet, get it drained out. Un, uh, you could detach the uh, faucet hoses from those two valves down there and then add one of these uh, special threaded water shock absorbers and then reattach the hose. They actually make them specifically, they make them for anywhere in plumbing lines, but they also make a version specifically for uh, screwing on to your existing uh, uh, valves underneath, uh, the angle stops underneath your sink. So you could give that a try. And we're not talking something that's going to break the bank. This is like $20, uh, 25 bucks to buy one or two of these. I'd put them on both lines just to be safe, a hot and a cold. Put those back on. See if it doesn't help. If it does, boom, you're done. If it doesn't, uh, then you may want to call a plumber out and actually get some uh, pro on the scene uh, eyes on advice. Maybe there's something going on with one of these valves that's causing this squeal. Maybe there's a bad washer or a bad ceramic cartridge, but I would start with just the general water shock absorber underneath the sink. See where it takes you, my friend. And hopefully the uh, neighbor's bird has not permanently registered it in its head. So if it stops hearing it, <laughs> it will, it'll stop making the sound. So uh, as to that, you know, you may fix your faucet and the neighbor now has to fix his bird. And a shock-absorbing uh, system is not what's going to fix the bird. I don't know what will fix the bird. Distracting the bird. I don't know. Cooking the bird. No, no, that's cruel. Uh, no, I don't know what fixes the bird, but I know what fixes your pipe. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate the question. <laughs> Very entertaining. First time ever. A plumbing problem infecting the neighborhood via tropical birds. There you go. Only here on home. All right. When we return... We're going to finish pruning your trees. Go nowhere. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI, Dean Sharp, the house whisperer at your service. 
Thanks for joining us on the program today. We are talking about trimming trees. Why are we trimming trees in September? Because that's when you should trim trees. Fall, autumn, this is the time for a major pruning. This is when a tree who, you know, granted, you're gonna, it's going to be somewhat shocking to do a major pruning of a tree. We don't want to shock that tree when it's literally trying to burst out and grow in the spring. It doesn't mean that we can't do some cleanup in the spring. Of course, you can do cleanup anytime. But if we're doing a major pruning of, uh, of a large structure like a tree, what we want to do is we want to do that pruning like a good surgeon as it's falling asleep. And that's what's happening to all trees, all trees. The deciduous trees are dropping their leaves and uh, they go into, you know, their little winter hibernation mode. But all trees, by the way, go into slower methodologies and motivations during uh, the winter. They do. All trees. You know why rings uh, are on a tree? That's not bark. It's a majorly misunderstood thing. People see a trunk cut open. And they say, oh, look at the rings on the tree. There's the wood and there's a bark line and wood and a bark line. No, no, no. That's not what you're seeing. You never see a bark line. Bark is only on the outside of a tree. Only. Always. Okay. The rings on a tree, and this is why you can use them to count the age of a tree in years. You don't count each ring. You count sets of rings. There's a dark ring and a lighter ring next to it. And then a dark ring and a lighter ring. Okay. The light ring on a tree is the fast-growing, softer wood of spring and summer. The wood goes fast because it's time to grow and to stretch and to become. Yeah, that's lighter wood. The darker ring is also more wood production, but deeper, harder, slower. That's why the darker rings are always smaller also in thickness than the lighter rings. So one light ring and one dark ring makes one full season or turning of the sun. In other words, one year, one year per pair of rings for a typical tree. Not bark, rings on a tree. So every tree, including coniferous trees, pine trees, trees that do not drop their leaves, trees with needles and such that stay green all year long, evergreens, they also have rings. Even they slow down their metabolisms in uh, winter, fall and winter. So when to prune a tree, if we're going to be making major, major changes to the structure of a tree, we don't want to do it shockingly as it's starting to grow out. We want to do it right as it's falling into its dormancy for the year. It will negotiate and process those wounds over the course of the fall and the winter. And by springtime, it'll be ready to launch out as if they never happened and, uh, and produce for you exactly the way you want it to. So that is why we are pruning our trees in autumn right here in September as uh, autumn is you know right on the threshold of happening. So there you go. Okay. Now, we've talked about major branches. I want to go to how to prune small branches of a tree. And then, of course, we'll move on to the artistry of what to prune. To shorten a branch or a twig, you cut it back uh, to a side branch. Okay? That's about it. Uh, you, in other words, if you want to uh, take off a branch or a twig, you just cut it all the way back. It's so using the same principle. Don't want to take a parallel cut to make a big oval wound. 
you make as perpendicular as cut as possible. You just bring it back to the branch that you're keeping. Or you make a cut about a quarter inch above a bud. If a branch is budding and you want to keep that bud, okay, don't cut the branch right next to the bud. Keep it about a quarter inch above a bud and then leave it. Okay, always prune above a bud facing the outside of a plant to force the new branch to grow in that direction. Now, this blends a little bit into where to cut. This is what we essentially want to do with the canopy of a tree. We want to keep it growing out. The tree wants to keep growing outward, okay? It wants its leaves, which are little photosynthesis uh, light-collecting production factories, leaves that are growing deep inside the canopy of a tree where it's all nice and shady. Those are not effective, efficient leaves. It wants a maximum amount of leaves on the outside surface of the canopy. And we want that too because that's what makes a tree most beautiful in appearance to us. And so the general rule, it's a general rule, and of course there are always exceptions to every rule, but the general rule is if you're going to go pruning your tree, the very first thing you want to deal with is thinning out what's on the inside of the canopy, the inner branches, all that viney tangle of branches happening very, very close to the main trunk and the main branches of the tree. Those are the things that are most expendable and least shocking for the tree to lose, by the way, because these are leaves and branches that are uh, all getting mussed up inside the tree. And what we want is to do two things. From, a, from an aesthetic point of view, we want to clear out that mess so we can see the structure of the branches. Two, we want to expose as much as branch structure as possible. And we want to preserve and keep the beauty of branch structure on a tree. Trees are not simply beautiful because of their green leaves. Trees are equally, if not more beautiful, because of their elegant branch structure, leading from a large trunk to a big branch to a smaller and smaller and smaller branch, all the way out to the leaf-bearing branches. Which brings us to the issue of topping a tree. Ugh. What can I tell you? Just tell you right up front. Do not top a tree. In other words, don't do like you see most municipalities doing to most trees out, out in the medians and along the freeways and in commercial spaces, which is going in because they fear the tree might get too tall or something like that. And we just take basically there's the trunk and there are the, its three main branches uh, leading out. And then everything above those things just get hacked off. Boom. Down to these nubs right? You've seen it. You've seen it happen. It happens every year and it is wrong. It's not only a sin against the tree, it is in no way, shape or form attractive because all that's going to happen now is that tree is going to be so shocked by the loss of all of that critical canopy and all of the loss of those branches that it's going to start shooting out water sprouts. Water sprouts are the same as the suckers that we were talking about earlier. The only difference is suckers grow out of the root ball of the tree up again, you know, up next to and alongside the main trunk. Those are suckers, right? They're green. They're very viney. They are the tree's attempt to photosynthesize more light and energy. Okay. We cut those uh, suckers off from the roots down below so that uh, they don't compete with the main trunk and what's going on up top. 
Water sprouts, same concept, except they happen up in the canopy and up on branches. And you see water, some trees just want to grow water sprouts no matter what. And this is why I was saying earlier in the show that trees don't always make the best decisions for themselves, for their long-term health. They may make selfish short-term decisions. And this is where we help our tree. We help it along by allowing it and forcing it to make the best long-term decisions. So water sprouts are out. Every single one of them, always, always. And when you top a tree and you take off these major top components, larger branch components, these water sprouts are the instant response. That's the tree trying desperately to heal itself in that regard and to get more light energy down into its base. However, this is what you need to know. This is hopefully all you need to know about water sprouts. Yes, it's going to vine out and get all green again. Those water sprouts will never, hear me now, never turn into the normal kind of branch that you cut off. Never. Water sprouts, by definition, are poorly attached. They are a last-ditch effort. They are not the same as a natural progression of branch growth. They are poorly attached. And water sprouts that are allowed to turn into larger branches, these are the most susceptible to snapping off during storms, falling and damaging property, falling and damaging the tree itself. Water sprouts, we don't want them anywhere on your tree ever, ideally. Nor do we want to top and, and uh, mutilate a tree so badly that uh, it has no choice but to grow water sprouts out in order to restore its canopy. Now, what do we do instead? We reduce the canopy, and that we will talk about when we return. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, on demand from KFI AM640. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, and we are back. All right, let us move forward with the pruning of your trees, understanding exactly what to do. We've gone through the techniques, big branches, small branches, how to do it safely, why, what we're doing, why we're doing it this time of year, what our end goal is now. I'm talking about both health and art when it comes to pruning the tree. How do you select what is getting pruned? So here's a quick list for you. And by the way, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Tina is getting this list to Misty, and Misty's going to be uh, publishing this list in various places, including on the KFI website, our little corner of the KFI website, so you can refer back to it as a guide. What to prune? All right, here we go. Are you ready? Uh, remove branches that rub together. Branches don't need to be rubbing on each other. Okay, none of that, none of that tomfoolery going on inside the tree. So, yeah, <laughs> branches that are uh, are rubbing together is a uh, an indicator of a canopy that is just too overgrown. Okay, uh, one of them is not necessary if two are sitting there rubbing together. Plus, the rubbing together uh, could cause uh, the the potential weakening of one or both of those branches and lose them anyway. Remove any rigid downward growing branches that's really critical for that i said the word ridges i'm not talking about removing any downward growing branches at all because you know out on the ends the flexible viney ends of all of our branches they've got that beautiful little droop to them some trees like willows and california pepper trees and a number of different trees 
are famous for their drooping willowy branches. So I'm not talking about removing the the flexible thin tip end branches that are drooping downward, but rigid branches, thicker branches that are growing down. That's not the direction this tree is wanting to go. So you remove rigid branches that are growing downward. Uh, you remove branches in the same light that are growing inward toward the inside of the canopy. We don't need that either. We want this tree to expand out uh, to the outer parts of its canopy. Avoid topping trees. We've already talked about that. Never prune the leader. The leader, that is literally the, the very top extension of the main trunk. Right, So we don't top the trees. I already went into that, uh, got on my soapbox last segment about that. So enough said. Uh, remove diseased or dead branches. That should go without saying. Remove narrow angle branches. Now, what do I mean by that? A branch that comes off of another branch and then starts running directly parallel with it. Okay, So the, the, there's two branches. They're running right next to each other. That's what we call a narrow angle branch. A nice healthy branch is moving away from the branch that is uh, it, that it's growing out of, okay? A, a narrow ang angle branch not only looks weird and will cause more interior clutter, but it's also most likely to split uh, down the road. So might as well just pop that off now. If two limbs are crossed or entangled or otherwise competing, one of them, out completely at its base, out. No competing major limbs of a tree. Remove any limbs along the trunk that are bigger in diameter than the trunk. Okay? any And there are there is such a thing, especially when a tree has gone through a disease or it's been uh, abusively uh, trimmed in the past. Sometimes you get limbs that are actually larger in diameter than the trunk itself. Those need to come off. Uh, remove suckers coming out from the roots. Uh, low on the trunk. We've already talked about that. Uh, remove those crazy vertical growing branches that aren't the main leader, the water sprouts, the equivalent of a sucker that grows up in the canopy. We've covered that. Um, da, 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 those are we. Okay, so here's our goal. Okay. Appearance in the landscape is essential to a plant's usefulness. So for most, for most landscapes, the plant's natural form is best. I so I'm I'm all about pruning a tree, but I'm not usually the one who's like wants to carve it into bizarre shapes that it doesn't naturally want to take. I say you plant a tree, you pick a tree and plant a tree and let it take its natural form, including its natural height. So topping a tree to limit its height, this does not make the tree healthier. This does not make the tree people get scared of the heights of trees. You shouldn't be. You should be scared of the health of a tree, okay? A nice, tall, healthy tree will stand firm and not fall over on your house. Uh, but even a shorter, topped tree, and by topping, you've introduced weakness and disease and all sorts of irregular growth. That's the kind of a tree that you should fear coming down prematurely. So don't fear the height of a tree. Always think about the health of a tree. Avoid shearing uh, uh, shrubs uh, themselves just along this gold. I, these aren't trees, I know, but the shrubs around your garden into weird geometrical forms unless they need to be trained for a specific purpose, right? Uh, ideally with a tree, prune it in a way where it's hard to tell it's been pruned, okay? We have uh, our, our uh, neighbor right across the street from us is a fantastic landscaper, and he just did me the favor of taking off a branch of our 
Chinese elm that was starting to threaten the house. Not threatening in the sense, not unhealthy for the tree, but growing a little too close to the house and a little too horizontal gave us the worry that, you know, potentially if a storm was to take that branch off, it could hit our roof. He trimmed it so well. He removed it so well that, you know, I came, we, we were gone for the last half hour of what they were doing. We came back. We, if you hadn't known it was there, you'd never even realize in the beauty and the structure of this tree that it was missing. That's what you want. A properly pruned tree. It's hard to tell that they've been pruned. Okay. Finally, what we're going for is that thin, airy internal canopy as thin as possible for as much as you can reach while it's within reach. Then you let it go after a while because, you know, trees, big trees get to a height where you just have to kind of let them be up there. Uh, it's totally okay to take a couple of feet off the outside of the canopy. That's what we were talking about before the break. Instead of topping a tree, reduce its crown, reduce its canopy size, limit the canopy by trimming all that soft stuff in a bit, not touching major, rigid, beautifully grown branches. Let the tree grow. But for sure, if you want to take a couple of feet off of everything all the way around like a good haircut trim, why not? Why not? And the right tools to use. Okay. One last thing. Sharp tools are safe tools. Do not avoid sharp tools. You want them sharp. They are the safest. They make the cleanest cuts. It's just like being in the kitchen. A dull knife is the big enemy of safety in the kitchen because you have to press harder and that's when something goes wrong and it slides over and it touches one of your phalanges, okay, and causes you to bleed. Sharp tools, best tools, cut nice and clean through. A good pair of pruning shears for some of the small stuff, loppers, okay, those are those long-handled pruning shears that give you better leverage, not with the long blades. You don't need a long-bladed uh, tool for a tree. That's for hedges and stuff. The loppers have that little curved blade at the end and really long handles that give you a lot of leverage for taking off branches. Loppers are good for branches up to about an inch and a half or so in diameter. And then hand saws for smaller branches. Make sure you use the three cuts like we talked about. Uh, right now, there are some great little power uh, chainsaws out there. I love these guys. Milwaukee makes one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm trying to remember the name off the hand. You remember the name of the uh, Milwaukee uh, small chainsaw? I don't know why I'm blocking it out of my head right now. I will remember it and tell you when we come back from the news. Anyway, it's about a six long uh, mini chain blade, battery driven, not for cutting down big trees or big branches, but up to two inches. No problem. and so easy to handle. Pole saws, that's the ones that the, uh, those uh, moon shaped, crescent moon shaped saws at the top of uh, long poles and there's a lopper in there as well if you've got a bigger tree and you want to fiddle with it yourself why not okay you can go ahead and use those and then chainsaws but of course make sure you're wearing protective clothing the point is this if you're keeping up on your tree um, with the rare rare exception of big uh, branches that have just been allowed to go out of control you probably don't need to take a chainsaw to your tree Okay, I would keep away from the chainsaw, both for you and for the sake of the tree. Not so much art happening with a chainsaw unless a tree has been cut down and you go up north and you get one of those like bears for your front porch out of a dead tree. But if your tree is alive, probably a chainsaw, not the right move. All right. 
We still have some more to come. And uh, I'm going to get you the name of that small well, uh, Milwaukee tool. I will remember it during the break, I promise. And I've got some closing thoughts for you today. So go nowhere. You're home. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI, Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Welcome home. Hey, thanks for joining us on the program today. I think I did my job. I got you all the way through trimming those trees. Now, these were all general, the most general, the most basic, but the but the most foundational techniques. Obviously, uh, it should go without saying that specific species of trees also sometimes require little bits of uh, special attention, right? For instance, uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most over the last couple of years is helping my friend Susan, a uh, wonderful client and friend and artist, by the way. We just bought one of her pieces uh, this week uh, on out of a gallery uh, exhibit. But anyway, uh, helping Susan... Uh, who has Japanese black pine trees in her backyard, candle them. That's a whole nother thing. Candling a Japanese. What does that even mean, Dean? It basically is how you turn a full-size Japanese black pine tree into what looks like a bonsai tree. Really cool, right? So the point is every species of tree has its special nuances that you fiddle around with it, but all of them, all of them still abide under the general rules that we've talked about this morning. Got it? All right, my friends, there you go. Oh, by the way, that little chainsaw, handheld battery-powered chainsaw that I was telling you, it's the Milwaukee hatchet. Hatchet. It's not a hatchet. It's a chainsaw, but it has a six-inch long blade. You can hold it in one hand, and it's a pruning saw, the Milwaukee hatchet tree pruning saw. There you go. Uh, lastly, the entire outline of uh, the essentials that we've talked about on the show today uh, Tina and Misty have got them posted. You will find a link to them on our Facebook and on our Instagram stories, or you can just go right to the KFI website, our little corner of the KFI website, Dean Sharp Home, and you will find it there as well. Finally, before we're uh, into closing thoughts today, you know, right after we're done here, it's How to Money with Joel Larsgaard. Joel, how you doing, bud, and what's going on with you today? Oh, Dean, I'm good, man. I hope you're uh, doing good as well. I got a lot to talk about on the show. I want to talk about short-term rentals. The uh, municipalities all across this country are kind of starting to tamp down on them. So I kind of want to give uh, some thoughts for people who are interested or who have been renting out uh, a place short-term. Do you mean like how New York now, how Manhattan, it's virtually impossible to have an Airbnb in Manhattan now, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. So they had these kind of rules, you know, but they weren't actually enforcing them. Now they're going to start enforcing them. So especially in New York, you it's going to be really hard to pull off an Airbnb, hosting an Airbnb. But the same is true in, in Los Angeles as well. So it's, it's easier for some than others, but you also just have to be really careful because the rules can change on you at any moment. All right, I'm there. I'm going to be listening with uh, rapt attention because I want to get all the inside scoop on that because we Airbnb a lot when we go. So I'm I'm just interested in seeing how all of that is going to change and shift. Thanks, Joel, and have a great yep. show, bud. Thanks, man. All right, y'all. There we are at the end of another fun time together. Three hours just evaporates so quickly, but so much good stuff, right? So many good things about your home. I'm going to leave you with this thought today. Tina and I are about to celebrate our anniversary this week. And of course, 
we have some uh, very Dean and Tina things planned, including getting lost for a few hours in a very famous, very beautiful garden. So in keeping uh, with our theme of trees and gardens today, I want to return for a moment to the concept of having a green thumb that I talked about at the beginning of the show and what it takes to tend a garden and how that so very much relates in my thinking to what it takes to grow a relationship. Great relationships, like great gardening, require a great respect for the other. Everything in a garden is a relationship born of desire and admiration and grown with respect. I mean, why have a garden to begin with if there is no desire to surround oneself with beauty? A beautiful flower, a handsome tree, we have them near us because we like having them near. The first step in the path to becoming the gardener of a particular plant is to decide if you like it. Loving someone is a wonderful, necessary thing, but it's entirely possible to love someone without wanting to spend a lot of time with them. So no, love is not all you need. You need to like them. Liking is the key to an intimate, thriving relationship. Like is the secret sauce of our relationship. Tina and I are together a lot. In fact, most of the time. What keeps it fresh is that every day we fall back into like with each other and we both put in the work to remain likable people. All gardens are born of desire. To want to tend a garden, you have to like what's in it. Great relationships, like great gardens, they require a real understanding of the other's needs, a willingness to do your part in meeting those needs. That's where most gardeners fail to earn their green thumb. Mastering the care of a plant isn't simply learning to impose your will upon it. It takes little to no knowledge of a thing to impose your will. If when you look at a garden, you think you're seeing nothing but a human's will, then you're not seeing the garden for what it truly is. It's a partnership. It's a dance. A great relationship, like a great garden, is the manifestation of two wills, two sets of needs, both satisfied and fused into one expression. Great relationships, like great gardens, require a deep desire for the other to prosper and thrive and bloom. Finally, great relationships like great gardens require regular attention. Returning to the origin of the green thumb, right? A thumb literally stained green from constant handling. The most beautiful gardens, like the most beautiful relationships, are not made so by grand gestures or occasional acts of heroism. Beautiful gardens and beautiful relationships are testimonies of green thumbs, the kinds of thumbs permanently stained green by a thousand tiny and tender acts of daily attention. That's what's required of something that is always growing and always changing, regular attention. Change is the very nature of a living thing. Living things like the plants in a garden or the people in a relationship do not stop growing and changing. Your choice is whether you'll be there close by to grow and change together or whether you walk away too often and for too long only to discover that that growth and change has continued without you and that nature and time has begun to erase the imprint of your hand in the art. Now, some of you have noticed at the beginning of each show when I introduce Tina, 
I've never referred to her as my wife. And that is true and also very intentional. It's not that I have anything against the institution of marriage. We are married. It's just that there's something far more important to me about our relationship than our being married. The most important thing that Tina is to me is what I say every week. She is my best friend. Friendship is not contractual. It's not an obligation. Friendship, like a garden, is born of desire and grown with constant attention and respect. I never wake up in the morning wondering how I'm going to be a better husband. I wake up ready to pull on my boots and get out into that garden, only wondering how today I might be a better friend. What can I do to help her bloom? That's what friends do. Happy anniversary, my love. I like you so very, very much. Let's go play. Let's go tend our garden and build ourselves a beautiful life. Everybody, we'll see you right back here next weekend. This has been Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. Tune into the live broadcast on KFI AM 640 every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 Pacific Time and every Sunday morning from 9 to noon Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app.